from GreenBiz Group, welcome to Center Stage, the best of live interviews from GreenBiz events. I'm Joel McCower. As this technology boom rises and we shift to clean energy, we can lift all boats with that. We believe that this technology phenomenon that California is driving can actually be more equitable and inclusive as well. Danny Kennedy is Managing Director of the California Clean Energy Fund. He spoke with Bill Weil, Facebook's Director of Sustainability, California Public Utility Commissioner Carla Peterman, and Stuart Nachmius, Vice President, Energy Policy and Regulatory Affairs at Con Edison. The conversation took place at the Verge 17 conference in Santa Clara, California. They discussed what it takes to transform an energy system to be cleaner, reliable, safe, and affordable. Let's listen in. We do have good news for you. That's the the story I want to start and finish with here, (laughs) that despite what you may fear out there in terms of Paris pullout and other bad news you've heard, the energy transition is proceeding afoot. Electricity is like it's never been for over 100 years, and mobility is being changed as we speak. And you'll see outside in the startup showcase and with the microgrid and all the wonderful startups that are here, the evidence of that in the real world. I invest now with the California Clean Energy Fund. We've found 28 great startups this year out of hundreds we've looked at to invest funds from our CalSeed Fund, which is through the California Energy Commission, into the next crop of 100 companies in California that are going to change the way power is made and distributed. And we hope as we do that, we'll change not just the power system and supply, but the power relations that go with it. We think that as this technology boom rises and we shift to clean energy, we can lift all boats with that. We believe that this technology phenomenon that California is driving can actually be more equitable and inclusive as well. And we'll probably get to that in the course of this conversation. But for now, I actually want to start with Stu Nakmias because Stu, you work for Con Ed and, you know, let's face it, the, the papa of all electricity, uh, Edison himself, worked for your company in a sense. The Pearl Street Power Station, I believe, is still one of the assets. And for those of you out there that don't know the history of electricity so well, Pearl Street was the first of Edison's demonstration sites, in a sense, of electricity. And now you're the consolidated Edison with thousands of assets under management. How are you seeing the, the progress towards clean energy in New York and with Con Ed? Great, thanks. And thanks, it's, it's a great privilege to come out from New York and to be here with everybody. Um, you know, on the heels of what we're all seeing in the news with this terrible uh, hurricane season and, and folks from, you know, uh, dealing with Harvey and Irma, Jose, which is going to probably affect my flight home, um, and Maria. Um, you know, it, it wasn't that long ago that we had Superstorm Sandy in New York, and that was our you know, great impact. And on the heels of that, um, we said, what can we do to help encourage greater resiliency and clean energy? And what can we do for distributed uh, energy resources? And so we looked uh, closely, and we looked also at what we needed in our system. And if anyone's been to New York lately, uh, you don't go to Manhattan so much anymore. It's really cool and hip to go to Brooklyn. (laughs) And we've seen tremendous growth in Brooklyn. And so we had proposed a program where instead of building traditional assets, we would encourage investment and provide incentives uh, to customers to sort of encourage distributed energy resources. And our regulator said that as a utility, we'd be able to capitalize and earn on those um, incentive programs. And so as an example, uh, one example of many um, of a program that happened there is uh, there was a low-income housing development called Marcus Garvey Housing. 
uh, about 800 apartments in basically three-story buildings. And they participated in our program. And they installed um, solar on the rooftops with a battery. And this, that is hooked up to security lighting across this large development. And then they also, uh, so in the case of a power outage, uh, they would have security lighting, uh, which is very uh, helpful. And they put a fuel cell in that would fuel and power a community center where people who live in the community would be able to uh, gather, to be able to, in the case of a power outage, be able to power cell phones and have a place where there's uh, electricity. And importantly, on a regular day or a hot summer day, we can utilize those assets to reduce the, the demand in that network as an alternative to regular assets. Uh, the regular traditional assets. So that's just one example um, that, that I wanted to share with folks of how clean energy is helping us um, achieve resiliency and achieving alternatives. And, and I think I'm sure we'll come back to it with Carla, you know, the non-traditional, non-wise alternatives to building just new power assets is a fascinating part of the New York story since Sandy and we're trying to do some of that here in California. But before I jump there, I wanted to hear from big corporate uh, the, the, the tech company known as Facebook that some of you may be familiar with um, is... So I, so I see a Twitter handle on the slide, uh, which is a little odd. Sorry, but, yeah. I had nothing to do with that. <laughs> Green biz. Um, uh, so, Bill, what's Facebook's experience now moving towards cleaner energy systems? You know, you've been a leader of the REBA, the Renewable Energy Buyers Alliance, which has been meeting here for the last day and a half and a lot of people in the room. Ha show of hands if you're with REBA. Thank you, Reba. Um, tell us your current yeah, thinking. Yeah, oh, well, thank you, and it's great, great to be here. Um, we set a goal six years ago almost to power all our operations with 100% clean energy. And we didn't put a timeline on that. We then, we, we, that's, that's our North Star, if you will. We then said, okay, 2015, we want to be at 25%. 2018, we want to be at 50%. Last year, we were at 43%. One of the keys to what we're trying to do is make sure, A, there's strong additionality when we buy clean energy, and B, we want to do it in a way that is replicable by others. So we don't want to just do it for ourselves and then pat ourselves on the back and say, okay, we're done, you know, good luck to the rest of you. We really want to develop solutions that work for us, but also for many others. Um, so one of the problems that we and many other companies have in buying clean energy is that the rules of the marketplace in many places don't allow it. Maybe you can put solar on your roof. Some places make that painful or difficult, a lot of places allow it, but beyond that, doing anything off-site, and if you have a data center that's you know, 30 megawatts, you can get maybe 1% of the energy over the course of the year from putting it on the roof. So you need something much, much larger. The grid is amazing. It does a really good job of delivering energy from lots of sources to lots of loads, and we'd like to leverage that. Um, so we want to do whatever makes the best sense in terms of delivering reliable, cost-effective, and clean energy. And there are plenty of places in, in this country, especially, that don't allow it, but other parts of the world, too. So we have spent the last several years working with what's now a couple hundred companies, half a dozen NGOs, building up this coalition of companies and NGOs who are all working to scale corporate purchases of clean energy. And it has gone from four or five years ago, you know, a few companies doing 100 or 200 megawatts a year of new commitments to now you know, in a, in a given year, the last year's 30 to 50 companies doing about two to three gigawatts a year of new commitments. Um, and the, this is becoming, I hope, I think, 
the, the norm for companies. That, that if, you know, if, if you care about climate, if you care about the Paris Accords, if your company, um, how, how many of you um, work for companies that, that signed the We Are Still In pledge? They're like 1,800, 2,000 companies. So that's, that's awesome. We are still in. So yeah. how many of you work for companies that signed the pledge, but your, your company is not buying clean energy? Okay, you don't want to put your hands up, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's a lot, because there are 1,800 or more companies that have signed the pledge, and nowhere near that many who are really buying clean energy, except for maybe putting a few solar panels on the roof. And this is something that is now cost-effective. The tools are there in more and more places, and I would like to see this become business as usual for most companies. And so Reba helps make that happen. What, what happened in the last day or so with Reba? So the last day and a half, we had 400-plus people in this room and then in a bunch of breakout rooms. And actually, one of the things that was amazing is, is the, the incredible level of sophistication compared to a few years ago. So on both the buyer's side and the sellers, the utilities, as well as developers, um, they understand each other much better and what needs to happen. Um, so there was a lot of um, mutual education that's still going on. There's um, a lot of raising awareness um, and then a lot of discussion about what, what do we need in terms of next generation green tariffs? What do we need in terms of products that will allow a small buyer who can't make a commitment for a 100 megawatt wind farm, a small buyer maybe to, to actually participate and buy clean energy in a reasonable way. So th those are the kinds of things we're working on. Wonderful. So we're going to move on to you, Carla, but just before I do, I wanted to mention the sidebar and make sure that you're getting your questions over to Elaine if anyone has them for this wonderful panel, because this is your shot to get uh, a question answered. Carla, you know, California, obviously, an amazing leader in this transition, um, phasing out coal almost altogether by the end of next year, I think, and then moving through to a clean energy future, cleaner energy systems, and, and even <coughs> taking on mobility in some ways um, over time. And while, you know, I know some people might get into the weeds on net metering policy or other things, the Public Utilities Commission has been a big part of that. So what is your, you know, top of mind agenda for pursuing the cleaner energy system of the future now? Thank you. Well, good question. I'll follow up on some of the comments um, from Stu and Bill, where I think a connective theme between what they're working on and what we're working on is higher asset utilization. And I think about that not only from a technology perspective, but also from a human factor perspective. Uh, there are customers uh, like Facebook who are interested in having more active participation in the energy system. How do we enable that? As on the other end of the spectrum, you have someone who's at home who has the ability to turn off the lights and be responsive to time of use pricing. How do we capitalize on that as well? So in terms of some of the things that I'm working on as it relates to asset utilization in terms of meeting our carbon goals in the cheapest manner, I'm particularly excited about the work that we're doing related to energy storage and electric vehicles. I think electric vehicles are a great example of how we're underutilizing assets. So when you think about your car, 96% of the time, it's idle, okay? And then if it's an electric car, you need about 10% of your time to charge that car. So that means there's sufficient flexibility and time for a customer to have that vehicle, not only as a transportation resource, but as a grid resource as well. Uh, but we do need to develop the right rules to allow that engagement. And I think that's our role as a state agency, as a government. We hear these great opportunities and ideas, uh, such as the non-wires alternative uh, that pursuing in New York, and uh, what Bill's talking about in terms of customer procurement of renewable energy, but our rules weren't designed to accommodate those types of resources. So we're systematically deploying pilots and really trying regulatory pilots to see how do we accommodate these new modes of energy engagement. 
Do you have any good examples of that? I mean, I've got a great little startup in our portfolio called Move, M-O-E-V, out of UCLA that's all about tying together a bunch of cars and using the EVs as a demand response sort of asset in the system around the LADWP territory. Can you think of stories like that or, or maybe another level of detail I'd like you to dive into because you just mentioned it in passing, time of use pricing. Can you tell the crowd how that is going to enable even cleaner energy in the future and when it happens? Sure. Well, generally, when we think about what's the biggest way to incite a consumer reaction, uh, having responsive pricing can be key. And if we can get the pricing right, then it doesn't matter if you have a storage asset or a solar PV system or an electric car, you can think about how to provide that resource to provide some system level qualities we need. So if we need flexible response, demand response, we want to get the price signals such that anyone can respond to those price signals. But I'm going to give an example about asset utilization that is even more traditional, um, and I'm sorry we hadn't pursued this earlier. And that's thinking about how to better utilize just your standard um, utility-scale solar PV system. Uh, so historically, we've always had concerns around the introduction of PV and what that means in terms of uh, voltage support and just having reliable 24-7 power. Well, the ISO currently has a pilot underway, and that's our system operator with First Solar, where they have a 300-megawatt solar PV plant. And they're actually testing whether that plant and with smart inverters can be used to provide uh, voltage support. And indeed it can in the night when the sun is not running. So here's assets that we already have on the grid that with the introduction of even smarter technology can be better utilized. So what to, was the problem is now becoming the solution. I'm going to have to stop you there and just ask you how it works at night. I come out of the solar industry and the, the sunlight. The full moon. Is it, no, is it, a, is it a reactive power? <laughs> That, I'm not exactly sure how it works at night, but I'm sure I can have our friendly grid operator follow up. Yeah. <laughs> For me, I, it's I, nice to know that it does. I saw that study and it gave a lot of appetite to the utility scale business because they were able to suddenly claim that they were better at the reactive power demands than a bunch of gas peakers or something, which is pretty exciting. Danny, just to, to add to that, you know, there's a lot of discussion, and, and I was at Reba, there's discussion about batteries also. And we're doing now a demonstration project um, on batteries, because what we've learned is customers, you know, the hourly, the mandatory hourly pricing is really interesting, but customers think it's overly complicated and the sales process is really difficult. So, how do you simplify it? We have a demonstration where um, a commercial customer is just getting a lease payment and giving a space to put a battery. The utility will use that battery to manage um, the demand and the fluctuations and increase asset utilization um, and, you know, over the, um, uh, you know, all days and, and particularly on hot uh, peak days. And that battery will be available because it's just on the utility side of the meter. It will be available to that customer in the event that there's an emergency or a situation where that support is needed. So we think it's a great example where we were able to, together with a third party uh, developer, simplify the sales process with a commercial customer. And all they're getting on a day to day basis is a monthly lease payment for the space. And it has really been, uh, so far, it seems like it's, it's a helpful model uh, to really simplify uh, that kind of uh, uh, sale. Elaine, I'm going to throw it over to you just to see if there are any questions from the floor to these fine folk with 10 oh, minutes Oh, yeah, left. there are questions. Yeah. Um, so we are actually doing a poll as well. So with our Verge Virtual online, we've been pushing out polls. One of the questions we asked is, what do you see as the primary driver for clean energy across communities and, and uh, companies? And I mean, it's 
63% said economics, obviously. The other choices were energy independence and climate resilience. Um, No-brainer, it's all about the bottom line in terms of the push for renewables and other kinds of clean energy solutions. So we've heard about New York and California with the dense markets um, with capacity challenges and high electricity prices. Um, what are the lessons for different markets such as rural American or the South? We do have some folks from those areas that I think would love to get your advice if you have any areas for replication. And Bill, I might ask you to have a go yeah. at that because you've got data centers all over the country. They're all over the place. We're building one in New Mexico, we're building one in Nebraska, we've got one in Iowa, we've got one in North Carolina, Oregon. So, you know, we're gonna, we just announced we're building one in Ohio. So it's not just California and, and New York, right? It is, it's the whole country. Um, and the electricity markets are very different. In, I mean, each state is, is different. Um, most of those states actually are heavily regulated. Um, but we have been very successful engaging the utilities and working with them to develop green tariffs that allow us to buy clean energy in a way that is cost-effective, that, that adds new clean energy to the grid, that isn't subsidized by other ratepayers, so it holds other ratepayers harmless. Um, so it, it's something that, that you know, the regulators are happy with, the utilities making money on it, we're getting what we need. And I think I, I see that as a model that, that in the short term in regulated markets, um, should be able to meet a lot of needs, certainly for new load. It's much harder for existing load because then you've got to figure out how do you deal with the, the sort of stranded assets, if you will. And I, I hesitate to ask you this because I promised I wouldn't mention his name, but does Donald Trump know you're building a data center with 100% clean energy in Ohio? I can't speak to what Donald Trump knows, um, <laughs> but the governor, John Kasich, does and has said, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to get this quote exactly right, but basically, Customers want clean energy, and if we want them to come here, we need to start building clean energy, and we need to make it possible for them to buy it. And he's been very, very clear about that. Right. Um, so, and and you, know, uh, you know, one of the good news stories I want to make sure everyone knows is the job creation happening because of this energy transition that's afoot in America. You know, you've all heard the stats around solar employs more people than the coal industry in America. There's about 270,000 humans in America in the solar value chain. There's 150,000 or so in the coal value chain from soup to nuts. There's only about 60,000 coal miners left in America. There's, there's more installers in California these days. Um, so we're, we're a job creation machine as well as driving low cost energy, hence the economics. The one I love recently is the wind industry is starting to cotton on to this. And they've shown that they're making more products in all states than the oil and gas sector, you know, in terms of turbines and uh, the various supports, and um, I, I also heard that the utility-scale solar industry with their steel construction mounts and all the rest of it um, employs more people in West Virginia than coal does currently, uh, which I haven't verified that fact, but it blows me away, and it's one of those wonderful things. We're creating jobs as we go with this energy transition. Uh, uh, can I, I pick Carol. up on this theme? I, just, I, mean, I think the question was getting to, are there clean energy initiatives and momentum in other states? And indeed there are. I've worked with commissioners from different states over the last few years, and the key topic of discussion for the last few years has been the Clean Power Plan and how to have utilities and commission prepare for its implementation. So even with the halt on that plan, utilities have been thinking about this for a few years, trying to understand how introducing low carbon resources can work in their system. It's a good opportunity to capitalize on that, to start continuing to talk with the utilities about, hey, you've already got these plans in place. Let's think about pursuing them, even in the absence of federal direction, because this makes sense for your business. 
We're seeing tremendous change in the utility industry where there's a realization that these low carbon resources are as competitive and provide different benefits from the current resource mix they have. Georgia, real leader in solar and electric vehicles. Some of the most interesting storage projects out there are happening in Cincinnati. Um, Minnesota is doing some really interesting grid modernization work. And so you are seeing the utilities and commissions approach these issues, not only from a climate change or greenhouse gas interest, but just from a business and reliability standpoint. And let's take that momentum and move forward with it. And I just want to build on that because my, my thought in answer to that question was exactly the same. You know, utilities aren't traditionally thought of as being, you know, innovative. And let's face it, um, in the past, utilities have been slow to respond at times. But our experience has shown that utilities working with their regulators, their customers, and third parties, uh, developers and, and others, really can bring innovative solutions to the market. And um, I think that no matter where you are in the country, you ought to work together with utilities, with regulators, uh, developers. Everyone ought to get together and come up with um, new ideas and new solutions uh, to this uh, new clean energy future. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's been our experience the last few years, is that if you go to utilities and, and, and don't just demand things, but talk to them about what you want, what you need, and work with them to find a solution, they are remar remarkably innovative. Good to hear. That might be Facebook's experience. and, and a lot of Not others, everybody's, but, but I yeah. think it's, it's possible. And uh, let me just say one thought Carla mentioned there. The clean power plan is going to be met anyway. Like Paris, you know, the US isn't really pulling out of Paris. It's going to be done because we are all still in, and we're all doing it. The cities and states have committed to it. And so too, um, the Clean Power Plan by 2025 will effectively be met whether or not the Trump government undoes that legislation. One more question, if you got it, Elaine. Yeah, so um, <laughs> trying to decide between many different, we have a lot of questions about politics, but I think we, let's go into technology. Yeah. Um, so in, in the case of um, just the adoption of new technologies, um, I mean, there's the future stuff which is a little more nascent, like blockchain and artificial intelligence and all that kind of stuff. And they're more immediate stuff like electrified transportation and vehicle-to-grid assets. And so the question actually from an emerging leader um, is where is the public-private partnership necessary for electrified transportation, vehicle-to-grid assets, other kinds of technologies that are emerging right now to decarbonize our electric system? Another great question, whoever did that. You're showing me up. Uh, who wants that? Carla. Uh, I'm happy to start. So everywhere that public-private partnership is necessary, and it's just not transportation electrification. It's for uh, renewable energy, for energy efficiency. For example, in energy efficiency, we have a state um, requirement to double our investments. That's not possible unless we see market action. That all can't be initiated by government action. On the electric vehicle space in particular, uh, our commission has gotten into having the utilities invest in infrastructure with the belief that more infrastructure is needed to um, uh, spur some of that car demand. However, even going, right now we have a couple hundred million that the utilities have invested in electric vehicle infrastructure, uh, which will get you about 12,000 uh, ports for connection. Just to meet the state's targets for 2025, we'll need 10 times that. Um, so we've really focused state money on uh, in infrastructure investments where there's less of a business case. So multi-unit family dwellings, workplaces. Um, but we definitely need third parties to come in and both provide charging, uh, particularly residential charging, commercial charging, as well as for third parties to come and play that intermediary that Stu was talking about, where you're going to work with different customers and simplify the customer experience, but still provide the utility with the complicated asset of a uh, variable demand that you can get from electric vehicles. So what we're asking of cars and PV systems is complicated, and we don't expect customers to be interested in every aspect of it. 
But if there are enough third-party businesses out there that are interested that can suddenly simplify the business model process, um, then we're going to see true success. Um, so many opportunities for third parties and companies and public-private partnerships. And I would just add that you know it, it's not the traditional parties too, because the public-private partnership, you know, for example, in New York, the Department of Transportation, the city itself, wh where should charges go, mm -hmm. right? And uh, I'm sure this is—I know this is true in New York, but I'm sure in other cities as well. Parking is at a premium, and so you have you know getting the right locations where where uh, charging can happen um, if it's if it's on street charging in particular. And, and there's a lot of coordination needed in partnership to really get to that, um, that, that future, particularly in the transportation network, but also you know, for us working with the fire department, with the buildings department in terms of uh, solar uh, and how we get that done. And then, and then even with large-scale utility solar, it's going to be also siting requirements. You know, do we need new, there was a discussion here during REBA, do we need new transmission to be able to enable that? Uh, utility-scale solar to get to customers. So there's a lot of opportunity for partnership in a lot of different areas. Did you want to add anything? I'll just say that I just flew in from China where I had the privilege of speaking at this thing called the Mass Entrepreneurship and Innovation Festival, literally. It was a week-long affair in Shanghai. And there, talk about public-private partnerships. I mean, they're getting serious about this EV stuff. They've sort of said, signaled that they might name a date certain to phase out fossil fuels, which is sending a shiver up the spine of all the OEMs and oil companies in the world. And, you know, you walk around the streets of Shanghai and there's EVs everywhere. Every two-wheeled vehicle is now electric. And uh, there are charging units that are being put in under these public-private partnerships with cities. And they're being managed by this incredible software, some of which comes out of startups here in the States that, you know, m mediate the, the impacts on the feeder distribution and all the rest of it. So just, a, you know, a, I don't want to say a cautionary tale because I think it's really exciting, but a note that as we go towards this cleaner energy future, China is driving hard and plans to, to run this one and, mm. and is demonstrating great success at that. They did 11 gigawatts of solar in the month of July this year, 11 gigawatts in a month. Um, so, you know, we in America just for the, you know, comparison did 16 last year, the whole year. So, you know, we've got some competition, but we can keep going. And the good news for all of you out there is clean energy is happening, it's coming to pass, and it's thanks to the good work of all these people and all the startups you're going to see through the rest of Verge. With that, I'll end it. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Danny Kennedy of CalSAF in conversation with Bill Weil of Facebook, Carla Peterman of the California PUC, and Stuart Nachmias of Con Edison at the Verge 17 conference. For more Center Stage podcasts, go to greenbiz.com slash center stage. And while you're there, tune into GreenBiz 350, our weekly podcast covering the news and the people behind the news in sustainable business and clean technology. For all of us here at GreenBiz Group, I'm Joel McCower. Thanks for listening.